A warm and friendly hello, welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For Jessica Soups, with myself, Craig Gibbs, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we got a great podcast for you. In the second segment, Andy Decoff is going to be joining me. He does a great job with Check CBB. We're going to be talking about some of what we're going to be getting on Sunday, a little bit of the landscape of the Pac-12 as well. I will have you know, my audio is going to sound a little bit weird. I wound up getting some AirPods for Christmas from my wonderful fiance. Do not blame the wonderful fiance. She did a great job picking out the AirPods. They worked out well with regards to hearing. I picked the wrong settings. I wound up, I think, talking into those, which is why I'm going to sound like I'm on the phone in this one. Andy's audio is great, so that's all that matters right there. I just want to give you the heads up. We will do better with that tomorrow, but I'm going to sound like I'm sort of on the phone on that, but Andy delivered the goods. He's going to be joining me in the second segment, and we will do better with that audio quality tomorrow. And then we'll have normal audio quality once again in the final segment, where I pick every single side and total on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast and you got one or two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JarenScorty1. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't get in a lot of questions today. I'll be diving into in the next few days why you do wind up picking numbers and not teams. I think that that's very important to be able to hit upon. I've got a little bit of a jam-packed slate tonight because we've got the Greg Peterson experience from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Pacific time if you're out there Eastern time all through Sunday, 1 to 4 a.m. where I'm also going to be giving you guys what I like with regards to the NFL on Sunday. So for those of you guys looking for my NFL picks, we actually did halfway decent on Saturday. We're going to try to do that once again on Sunday, but we'll be giving out there and I am having to do this a little bit earlier as a result. So if there is something from some of the very, very late West Coast games, I'll be having a little bit more reaction there. But let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing from Saturday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. We've seen a lot of late-breaking injuries with regards to college basketball this season. And hopefully you wound up standing pat on Rutgers versus Minnesota. We saw a massive line change because... Minnesota was right around a one and a half point favorite. They close a four and a half point underdog against Rutgers because they were having quite a few of their top players, including Jamison Battle, get rolled out for this one. EJ Stevens was out of the fold as well. This for a Minnesota team that already was not utilizing their bench, but Minnesota still finds a way to be able to get the job done by count of 68 to 65 against Rutgers because you wound up having Peyton Willis go off for 32 points in this game. For Rutgers, they go 12 and 27 from three point range. And still lose a Minnesota skeleton crew as Geo Baker wound up pumping in their 25 points. But for Rutgers, they've lost a battle on the glass by kind of 27 to 25 for a Minnesota team that legitimately had no rebounding out there whatsoever. It was absolutely hilarious. For Cliff Amaroui, he was able to give the team just four points. So I have no idea what was going on there. But Luke Lowe also wound up having 19 points for a Minnesota team that wound up having Trayton Thompson, who had been averaging right around 1.3 points per game, go off for 10 points and six boards down low. That is the strangest of college basketball. That's why whenever someone tells you that they've got a stone-cold lead pipe lock, they are delusional because you never know what's going to be happening in this sport. What we do know is that teams that have been on the normal Las Vegas betting board since the beginning of the 2018-19 season, the best cover team has actually been Hofstra. And Hofstra got the job done on Saturday, taking down Northeastern by kind of 70 2 to 50. This is the Northeastern squad that they are dealing with quite a few of injuries of their own. Now, the good news for this team is that they did wind up getting Shaquille Walters and Chris Doherty back in the fold. 
Bad news is, they had 14 turnovers to Hofstra's 11, and Hofstra wound up having Zach Cooks back in the fold, who wound up giving the team 19 points. So, there was that aspect of it. Obviously, the big game of the day, that would be Auburn versus Kentucky. And if you ask me right now, the team that I think should be voted number one is Auburn. In terms of power rankings, I've literally got Auburn and Gonzaga separated by two-tenths of a point right now. It would be depending upon like the scheduling spot and things like that as to who I would make the favorite in that game. They're that close in my opinion, but Auburn, they get it done by kind of 80-71. to 71. We're also going to talk to Andy about teams that have fluctuated the most with regards to his power rankings because he does those for Heat Check CBB, and I know that Auburn is one of the teams that's going to be coming up, but... Robert Walker Kessler did a great job against Oscar Sheboy. Sheboy still got his 16 points, 14 rebounds, 4 blocks, but Kessler 19 points, 7 boards, and 2 blocks of his own for Auburn. They won this game at the free line. 24 of 29 at the charity stripe, so they did a rock-solid job there. You wound up having Auburn commit just 12 turnovers in this game as well. Now, Kentucky had just 9, but they themselves weren't able to necessarily get a lot of outside shooting. Callum Grady, 4 of 7, 3-point range. Rest of the team just 1 made 3. Seton Hall and St. John's wound up playing a game that wound up going right around like 25 points under the total. This game was rightfully so bet to the under, but boy, oh boy, this was a little bit of a rock fight. 66 to 60. St. John's winds up taking the L as St. John's wound up having Julian Champagny give the team just nine points in this one. A little bit of a surprise as Seton Hall, they did a great job defensively. They did wind up having 17 turnovers in this game, but Tyree Samuel came in off the bench. He had nine rebounds, and for St. John's, they lose the rebound battle 60 to 43. Something to take note of moving forward. Villanova, they get a win, but no cover against Georgetown, 85 to 74, as Villanova was actually in danger of losing this game. They were down 47 to 39 early part of the second half, but then. They were able to turn it on, and for Villanova, give them credit, 16 of 16 at the free throw line, and Georgetown's actually a relatively solid offense. This is why they've been one of the top over teams in all of college basketball. They do wind up going 16 of 17 at the free throw line, so credit to their offense. They wind up shooting 33% from three, which is actually relatively bad for them, so I mean, this is a Georgetown team that if you've been betting overs with them, they've been relatively solid. I believe that this was their first cover of the calendar year 2022, so that is something that you do want to be taking a look at. I'm talking about overs right now and guess who the best over team in all of college basketball is right now if you guess Bowling Green congratulations I don't have a prize for you but you get something out of it Bowling Green 82 to 75 they get the job done and they cover the closing line of six half against Western Michigan they go eight of 19 for three point range now I had a couple people complain to me on social media about Bowling Green's free throw shooting but they did just enough to be able to get there as Daquan Plowden 23 points. And for Bowling Green, this has been a team that's legitimately been able to cover a couple of numbers recently. They did a nice job in that game against Northern Illinois. Now, took a bad loss to Akron and Toledo along the way, but they've been able to do a relatively solid job here recently. And then you take a look at Western Michigan, and this team is just a dump right now. 8-33 from three-point range. Lamar Norman Jr. had 20 points on 24 shots, and legitimately a bad shot for him has been better than a good shot for other guys. So that has been very intriguing to take a look at. Iowa has been one of the top teams in the overall of college basketball. They have now played a pair of unders. A little bit of this is due to scheduling. They wound up playing against Rutgers a couple days ago, and then they play against Penn State. They were able to get up off the mat, and they were able to get a nice cover against Penn State, but held down in this game, 68-51. You wind up having Iowa go just 10-32 from three-point range. You only shoot about 34% in general, but you did have Keegan Murray give you another nice performance. 15 points, 8 boards, 3 blocks, and for Penn State... They've done a good job of being able to get their tempo. Problem is, they committed 17 turnovers against an Iowa team that they legitimately do not do a good job of being able to generate a lot of turnovers. Penn State has been one of your better under teams in college basketball this season, so that is very fascinating. Eastern Illinois has been the best team to the under, but now they have played back-to-back overs after each out of their first 14 games wound up going under and 
It's not because they're playing great offense right now. We're just taking a look at teams with demonstrative trends in general as Eastern Illinois. They lose to Southeast Missouri State 87-58. This is looking like a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. If you're asking me who number one with regards to college basketball is with regards to the bottom, I would say Mississippi Valley State. They actually wound up being able to get a cover a couple days ago. They did wind up being able to hang in there against Grambling on Saturday by kind of 68-64. to They were catching 12 points, so they were able to cover that game, but still not necessarily the world's sexiest performance as they're currently without their top scorer in Robert Carpenter by the way so it's a Mississippi Valley State team that's not your great end they actually had a chance to be able to win this game outright if they didn't go 8 of 22 at the free throw line while Grambling wound up going 16 of 16 so Mississippi Valley State not doing the little things very well the team that is joining that conversation for perhaps the worst out there in college basketball Delaware State they wind up playing an NC Central team that had not played since Christmas on their own floor they get blasted 73 to 49 just absolutely hilarious. There was no point in the game in which NC Central was trailing. I literally, they didn't even have a 2 to nothing lead for Delaware State. They trailed the entire game against a team that hadn't played since Christmas. Delaware State wound up having 18 turnovers at 16 made field goals against a team that hadn't played since Christmas. They slowed this game down to a crawl and it didn't work out for them. You wound up having 22 points for NC Central on Randy Miller Jr. And this is a down NC Central team, but... Boy, oh boy, that was very intriguing. And out there in the MAC, by the way, Howard is actually looking solid. Very nearly knocked off Notre Dame. They got a 91-82 road win over Morgan State. Actually a relatively quality performance, so give them a little bit of credit. How about one of the best under teams in all of college basketball being Eastern Kentucky? I don't think a lot of people saw this coming, but they wound up playing a little bit of a slobber knocker on Saturday. They take down North Florida by kind of 67-58, to 58, but this winds up going well under the north of 150 total. And if you like me, well, I'm taking 9.5 with North Florida. Barely was able to get in there as things were looking a little bit on the fritz as Eastern Kentucky wound up getting in this game 28-10 to with regards to a lead with about five minutes left in the first half. So it's been very intriguing to take a look at them. If you're looking at another team that has been very good to the under, how about if we go to our New York Post pick? Because LSU now the second best team with regards to underrated and all of college basketball. And without Theo Pinson right now, they've got absolutely no offense going whatsoever as LSU winds up losing to Tennessee 64-50. to The best song to be able to describe this game is I can't go 65 because neither team wound up getting there. A very sloppy game as these were the two top teams with regards to steals per game in all of college basketball. Tennessee only wound up getting three steals in this game. 14 turnovers apiece for both of these teams, but for LSU, masonry event. They wound up going 4 of 19 from three-point range, and for Tennessee, the difference maker for this team, Santiago Viscovi, 16 points, 6 boards, 5 assists. Tennessee is a little bit of a strange team, but not as strange as Alabama. Alabama winds up being able to get the job done, but it wasn't in convincing fashion. 86-76. to They wound up getting down double digits, by the way, in the first half to Missouri, and Missouri, for that matter, they were up 63-50 to with about 13 minutes left in this game before Alabama was able to really restore order for Alabama. They go just signed 27 from three-point range. One of the most confusing teams in all of college basketball and a Missouri team that's legitimately shooting about 26% from three. They went 11 of 24 from the outside, so that was very intriguing to take a look at out there in the SEC in general. Florida, without Colin Castleton in the fold, they get the job done against Vanderbilt 61 to 42. Give credit to this Florida defense. Vanderbilt, 4 of 23 from three-point range. Florida wasn't much better at 9 of 36, so this bunch could use back their good friend Colin Castleton sometime soon, but Jason Jitobo was able to do a solid job down low with 10 rebounds, so give him a little bit of credit. Florida, just 8 turnovers. Backcourt needs a little bit of work, but certainly that was an intriguing result to say the least. Georgia and South Carolina, two of the dregs out there in the SEC, and 
Tom Crane continuing to prove that he is a terrible coach. 83-66, to South Carolina takes it to Georgia for Georgia. They want to committing in this game. 18 turnovers, and they had 18 made buckets. So that tells you where they're at. And for South Carolina, 20 points out of Eric Stevenson. South Carolina has actually been a relatively solid over team. They wind up having another overwind up coming through in this game with the total set around 144. This is a team that's in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game. So you want to be taking a look at that. Guess who number two is with regards to overrate, though? That'd be Columbia with 11 out of their 14 games having gone over the total with regards to non-pushes because they've got a push in there as well. And they wind up playing yet another demonstrative game on Saturday. They wind up losing to Brown by kind of 93-74 to as Brown, not necessarily the world's greatest offensive team. They were able to light it up at 12-30 of 30 from three-point range. So that's telling you where Columbia is at right now. And Columbia went 11-25 of 25 at the free throw line. If you, like me, wind up taking points, boy, oh, boy, they did not do their part there, but... For Brown, going to be an interesting team in the Ivy League moving forward because Tamanink Cho, another good performance, 20 points, 8 rebounds. And the ACC in general wound up having some strange performances on Saturday. A lot of teams that loaded it up from 3 point range. Case in point, Notre Dame versus Louisville. Notre Dame takes down Louisville by kind of 82-70. to 70. And Notre Dame, give them credit. They've been much better than expected. Now, Notre Dame, I don't think is going to be able to duplicate 15-23 from 3 point range. Louisville's actually a halfway decent defense. That was sad. And Louisville, they are not a good three-point shooting team. And they themselves went 10-21 from distance. Notre Dame's defense has been lacking a little bit. But you did wind up having 22 points out of Blake Wesley in this game. And then for Louisville, this is a bunch of which they only committed seven turnovers. Actually won the rebound battle 27-25. But Notre Dame just could not wind up missing in this game. Virginia and NC State, neither of these two teams could wind up missing. I took the under, and I will gladly take the under once again because I don't think that Virginia the next time around goes 10 of 17 from three-point range while NC State goes 12 of 22 from distance. NC State, 77-63 win, and good news for this NC State team is that they're now getting a little bit more help for Duran Sebron, who had another solid performance, 13 points, 6 boards, and 5 assists, but Draquavius Smith once again wound up coming through for this team. He wound up having 20 big points, and you take a look at Draquavius Smith, one of the most under rated players right now, in my opinion, in all of college basketball. This man has scored now at least 14 points in all but one of his games ever since the turn of December. December 1st, he wound up having, I believe it was 9 points against Nebraska. Ever since then, I would like to say that this is about a 12-game streak here. He's had 14 or more in all but one of them. He has actually been really, really good. And it's a big reason why NC State has been able to cover some spreads. Pittsburgh, they just continue to be Pittsburgh. They've shown some fight, but in this game against Clemson, they were just outgunned 75-48 to 48 unders and Pittsburgh games have been terrific. And for Clemson, 12-25 for three-point range. A little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team right now. But Alamir Zaz was able to go 5-8 of eight from distance. So they were able to light it up. And North Carolina, right now they're just playing the Ole style of defense. 98-76. to 76. Wake Forest is legitimately a good team at 16-4. and four. I think that they can make the NCAA tournament. For the ACC, they're probably going to find four teams in the NCAA tournament, and I think that that's pretty much a max, and I don't know if North Carolina is going to be one of them. They're now 12-6, and six, and Armando Baco could be 12-12, and 12, but he's the only guy that's really fighting on defense for this team. Wake Forest was outgunned on the glass by a count of 50-38 to 38 as UNC wound up having 13 offensive rebounds, but they wound up having 81 shots and 76 points. Meanwhile, Wake Forest, they had 98 points on 59 shots, so that tells you all about North Carolina right there. You wound up having a good matchup between Miami and Florida State, 61-60. to 60. 
Florida State wins another one-point game against Miami. Miami has looked relatively solid, but you figure that there'd be a little bit of regression with regards to their three-point shooting, just 7-25 from long range in this one. And for Florida State, they were able to overcome the fact that they wound up having 17 turnovers in this one by them being able to win the glass, 39-27. A little bit of a deficiency for Miami moving forward. No deficiencies for Duke on Saturday, even without Trevor Keels. They get the job done against Syracuse, 79-59 to as Duke. They wind up going 14-37 from three-point range. A.J. Griffin looked solid 5-9 from the outside. Paulo Banchero had 15 points, 13 rebounds. Didn't necessarily shoot it well from three-point range, but big key for this team, Wendell Moore had his best performance in quite a while. 15 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds. I do think that he's a little bit of a heartbeat for Duke and for Syracuse. 5-29 from three-point range. I was expecting a little bit of regression with regards to their three-point shooting. Didn't think that would be quite that. When it comes to the Big 12, just another gauntlet for these teams. Kansas, they're able to overcome the octagon of doom, but not through the point where they were able to cover. 78-75 to for Kansas State. This is a very pesky team as they wind up going 10-26 from three-point range. Nigel Pack packed it in with 35 points, 8-12 from distance. And for Kansas, they wound up getting four points off their bench. Remy Martin was on that bench and only had two points. He does not look right right now. And for Kansas, in terms of points scored on a 100 possession basis in the last five games, it's fallen by like 12 or so points. So it has been a little bit of an issue. Iowa State seems to be coming back to earth. I still think that this is a solid team and a top 25 team, but TCU is a team that I felt like was getting really slept upon. I wound up taking the points with them and they wound up getting the job done 59 to 44. Big thing for Iowa State. They need more offense. They went 3 of 26 from three-point range in this one. Isaiah Brockington had 19 points and 12 rebounds and nobody else gave this team really anything. Iowa State, they still did a solid job of being able to play some defense defense as you did have TCU turn the ball over 15 times with Damian Baugh. Even though he did wind up having those turnovers, he still had himself 23 points, 7 steals, 5 assists, 7 rebounds. So TCU looking like a very underrated team right now. Baylor, they've been able to get back up on the horse and they were able to get a pair of back-to-back wins this week. James Akinjo was back in the fold, was not 100%, only gave the team 2 points, but LJ Cryer off the bench, 2 of 4 from distance. Baylor takes down Oklahoma 65-51 to and for Oklahoma, they wound up having 25 turnovers in this game. That is just what this Baylor team is able to do. Not as good on offense as they were last season, but significantly better on defense. Texas Tech, this has been one of your better teams in conference play all season long. I like what Mark Adams is doing, 78-65. to They take down West Virginia. I had someone asking me if it's just Bob Huggins not necessarily doing a great coaching job with the team, and I don't think that that's the case at all. This is just a West Virginia team that they lost a lot from last year. They don't have a lot of three-point shooting. Unlike the last few years, Tad Sherman had 21 points for the team, but really past that, you don't necessarily have a lot of stars for the team. I will say Malik Curry had double figures, I believe, for the fourth time in the last six games, so he was able to do a solid job, but Terrence Shannon is back in full force for Texas Tech. 23 points. He winds up leading the way as Texas Tech, just 5 of 20 from three-point range, but just signed turnovers for them. They forced West Virginia into 17 of them, so they were able to get the job done out there. Another one of your best cover teams in all of college basketball. How about if we go back to the Ivy League, that would be Cornell. They are now 11-3 and against the spread, and they were able to get a very convincing win against Harvard by kind of 76-61. Keep in mind, this is a Cornell team that they've been playing recently without who has been their top scorer throughout the season in Jordan Jones in this game for Cornell. They just did a great job on defense. 12 of 34 is what Harvard wound up going from three-point range, but they were forced into 13 turnovers. And when it comes to this Cornell team, they were able to get just enough from the outside. Nine of 20 from three-point range as Mr. Jones, he wound up returning in this game, and he had 18 points with him back. I do think that that is going to be massive for this team moving forward. Another good cover team. How about Norfolk State out there in the MEAC? They are now 10-3-1 and against the spread. They wind up being able to get the job done against Coppin State by kind of 84-77. to This was a line they were finding 
going anywhere between six and a half and seven. So some places are going to count this as a cover. If you wind up taking a late number, you might have wound up getting a push, but for North Folk State, 9 of 24 from 3-point range. Jalen Hawkins was able to pump in there 20 points, 9 rebounds. This is legitimately, in my opinion, the best team out there in the MEAC. They and Howard, I think, are really going to be duking it out, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Another team that's been a good cover team, how about New Mexico? They got another cover. They weren't able to get the outright win, but boy, oh boy, they were pesky against Wyoming. 93-91. to 91. This is not an up-tempo Wyoming team, but they went 29-50 from the floor for New Mexico. Big reason why they were able to hang in there is because Jamal Mashburn Jr. was able to give the team 22. But how about Jay Allen Tover? He was able to bump in there 25 himself. New Mexico winds up getting plowed on the glass 23-34. to They wind up losing this game as Graham Ikit was able to give this Wyoming team 29 points and 15 rebounds, but it was certainly a fun one to watch, to say the least, out there in the Mountain West, by the way. Colorado State, their best performance in quite a while. They take down Air Force 73-53. to You had that David Roddy dunk that is circulating. That was absolutely insane, and for Colorado State, they wound up being held down with regards to their overall possessions in this game. Air Force, they do a good job of being able to control the tempo and had 16 turnovers. That's a little bit unlike them, but they were able to get back to basics. Roddy was able to give the team 14 points, 9 boards, 3 steals, so Colorado State, good performance there. UNLV, a win, but no cover against San Jose State, 70-62. to And you did wind up seeing a lot of rematches in the games on Saturday. That was one of them. And you'll notice in a lot of these games in which a team is taking on another the second time around. You're going to find a lot of opposites. We wound up seeing it in college basketball last season where the team that winds up taking game one, they wind up losing in game two slash not covering, however you want to phrase it. That was not the case in this one, though. Texas was able to get the outright win after losing game one to Oklahoma State, but no cover. 56-51 for Texas, just 6-21 from three-point range. Game one went under, game two went under, and for Oklahoma State, Bryce Thompson was able to give the team 20 points to be able to hang within arm's reach, and for Oklahoma State, this is a team that they actually rank in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game, but they've just been an under machine this year because there are a bunch in which they're just not able to get a lot going on offense. You've also got a couple of your best cover teams in all of college basketball residing out there in the SWAC. If you're looking for a little bit of value Texas Southern. They advanced to 11-5 against the spread, 78-44. to They just completely dismounted upon Alabama A&M, but Alcorn State has been a little bit of a money machine this year as well, but unable to get the job done against Florida A&M. This was pretty much a pick-em line, 70-68. to Do not sleep on Florida A&M out there in this conference, and for Florida A&M, they were down 48-34 to at one point in this game, and were literally down nine points with two and a half minutes left, down 67-58. So if you wound up having the under in this game, boy, oh boy, thoughts and prayers to you there. But for Florida A&M, able to create a big, giant comeback. MJ Randolph, one of the best players you've never heard of. He wound up having 21 points in this game. I think you've also got Southern, who's out 12-4 and four against the spread after they took down Arkansas Pine Bluff. 99-51. Arkansas Pine Bluff, by the way. If you're wanting to talk about one of the worst teams out there in all of college basketball, they are certainly in the running. And for this Southern team, they were able to do it because they wound up going 9-22 from three-point range, and they forced Arkansas Pine Bluff into 28 turnovers. This is a team that got 19 steals in this game. I believe that you wound up having 10 different players get at least one steal for Southern. So that was an incredibly impressive performance. UAB, by the way, 13-5 against the spread. Battle of Conference USA Powers went their way. They were able to take care of Louisiana Tech on the road by kind of 83-76 to 76 as UAB. They were very good on defense, but not so great on offense last year. They have found their offense with Jordan Walker going 9-15 from three-point range this season. 36 points. K.J. Buffin transfer from Ole Miss. 11 points, 13 rebounds. Speaking of Ole Miss, by the way, no cover against Mississippi State. They wind up losing that game by 18 points. Mississippi State was co- able to cover right around a 12-point line, so give them some credit. And for Louisiana Tech, 
fact, you did have Kenny Lofton give you 24 points and 12 rebounds, but also six steals in this game as going up against Buffalo along Trey Jamison wound up taking a lot out of him. So that is something that you do want to be taking a look at. Another team that has been relatively solid at being able to cover numbers this season, but was unable to cover the spread on Saturday. That would be Davidson. Davidson, they're able to get the outright win, but I just felt like this number had gotten a little bit away from them. 69 to 66, the final. So you wind up having this game barely go under, but I do like what Kyle Neptune is doing over there at Fordham. Fordham, by the way, had a very good chance to be able to win this game outright. They were up by kind of 40 to 27. Then they found themselves actually down by like six points with about a buck 30 left. So this was a very herky-jerky game. Davidson, just three of 13 from three-point range. Very unlike them. They've been shooting over 40% from distance, but 36 points for Darius Quinsenberry for Fordham was able to keep them live. That's a team that you want to be taking a look at moving forward. VCU has been recently covering ever since Ace Baldwin wound up getting back in the fold. And this was just the second under since Baldwin wound up coming back about eight or so games ago. 70-54. to 54, They take down St. Joe's. Did a great job of being able to create turnovers in this game. Another team that has been able to cover quite a few numbers for you. How about Middle Tennessee? They're actually your second best cover team in all of college basketball. The third best team, by the way, Auburn, now 15-4 and four against the spread. I wound up running through what they wound up doing against Kentucky, but for Middle Tennessee, they've been very good out there in Conference USA. Non-cover in this game, though, as Southern Miss closes as a 15.5 point underdog. This is a Middle Tennessee team that, I can tell you right now, they've gotten badly overvalued. This was a Southern Miss team that they very nearly were able to pull off the all-right win. They were actually up in this game by double figures throughout the first half. They then just wound up letting this one get away late. 74-60 to 60 was the final for Middle Tennessee. They wound up going just to a 24 for three-point range and all in all the season. They've been shooting about 30% for three now. They do a good job of being able to guard the perimeter. Southern Miss, they themselves went one of 12 from three-point range, but certainly a Middle Tennessee team that I think that they're going to be regressing with regards to their ATS record. If you're looking at the bad... Ewee IUPUI, now 4 and 13 against the spread. They are facing off against the Northern Kentucky team that they entered into this game 3 and 11 against the spread, and this one went the way of Northern Kentucky as IUPUI has literally scored 60 points or fewer against D1 foes in all but one of their games this year. 60 to 41, the final. Just an absolutely putrid effort once again from them. Another team that's just not been covering spreads, that'd be Idaho State. They are currently 3-12 and against the spread. And shock, shock, surprise, surprise. They wind up getting blown out by Southern Utah. This one was one that they were actually able to cover, by the way, 86-74. But you can't expect very good things out of Idaho State at this point, as they've been without many of their top players this year, including Robert Ford III. So that has really caused this team to be a bit rudderless. And for Southern Utah, they've been a little bit of a letdown themselves this season. Speaking of a letdown, Marshall, they're 3-12-2 against the spread. They wind up losing to Florida Atlantic on Saturday going back out there to Conference USA, which has had some very fascinating teams to say the least. This was a 71-60 to game, and for Marshall, they're one of the top teams with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball. They're right now shooting as a collective about 26% from three. They went 3-21 in this game, so got to be taking a look at that moving forward. Georgia State has been one of your worst teams against the spread. They wind up taking an outright loss to Coastal Carolina and out there in the Sun Belt, by the way. Underdogs wind up going 4-2 and two straight up, so if you were looking for some money line underdogs, they were to be had out there in the Sun Belt. You also had a money line underdog in UNC Asheville push Radford to 4-12 and 12 against the spread as Asheville, they were able to get the job done. Right now, your worst team in all of college basketball with regards to cover 8, that would actually be Pacific. Pacific now falls at 2-14 and 14 against the spread as if you take a look at what wound up happening on Saturday, just a calamity. They lose on their home floor to San Diego by kind of 73-65. to 65. San Diego actually was the two-point road favorite and for Pacific, 
They wound up losing Damon Sotomayor in the summertime, and they just look completely rudderless right now. You worry about if Pierre Cockrell, more of a pass first point guard, go off for 24 points in this game, but for San Diego, Jace Townsend has been able to return to the fold for this team, has reinvigorated this offense. They wound up going 8 of 17 from three-point range, so give them a little bit of credit. Holy Cross, by the way, they should just not be a favorite at this point. They wind up losing to the Bright Capuls and Bison as a home favorite by kind of 68 to 65. They're now 4-11 and 11 against the spread, and then taking a little bit of a look at the Pac-12. We'll do this a little bit more on the Greg Peterson experience because we do have a few games that are still live as I'm doing this, but USC, they wind up taking down Utah by kind of 79 to 67. They were able to take both legs of the mountain road trip and they were able to cover both of them, something that is very rare for USC. Free throw shooting is something that you do want to be doing. They went just 12 of 20 at the charity stripe in this game, but you take a look at them and they have been able to do a relatively solid job of everything aside from free throw shooting with Isaiah Mobley being able to stuff the stat sheet. And he didn't even have a good game in this one. 10 points, 6 boards for him. And then you take a look at UCLA. They got the win and the cover against Colorado. So that's what we wound up seeing from college basketball on Saturday. And if you're taking a look at just trends in general, I do think that you're going to be able to see a nice run on home underdogs as conference play continues to go along, you take a look at the last seven days, and home underdogs have been just 62 and 70 against the spread as I'm recording this. Meanwhile, unders have seen a little bit of a comeback. 180 unders, 160 overs. If you're looking at the last three days, by the way, it's been a little bit more of an overfest. 534 overs, 498 unders, but I think that unders are going to be able to prevail. Home underdogs in that span of the last three days, 184, 173, and 4. So, I fully expect them to be barking a little bit more when you wind up getting different spots in conference, and you take a look at what we want to seeing on Saturday relatively a 50-50 split between overs and unders and home underdogs as I'm recording this 19 and 24 against the spread so I think that that's a good place to look and a good place to look for just quality insights in general is Andy Decoff. he does a great job over there at Heat Check CBB he does the Decoff Power Index so coming up next we're going to ask for the team that has really been varying a little bit with that regard we're also going to be asking him about his thoughts on some of Sunday's games I will give you the forewarning right now that I wound up accidentally recording on the wrong microphone so I'm going to sound like I'm on the phone, but Andy delivers crystal clear audio, and he delivers the goods. Next, right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hughes Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Mobile, Las Vegas. We're supposed to go to with myself, Greg Hughes, and now a part of the Peace Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guest. This man does terrific work at a wide variety of things. He does some work over there at the Madras Pioneer, if you're out there in the great state of Oregon, along with the Portland Tribune. But main thing that he winds up doing with regards to college basketball fans is he checks CBB. 
He's a great editor over there, and he's got his Andy Dikoff Power Index as well. We're going to be diving into that in a minute as Andy does absolutely terrific work looking at the game of college basketball. Also does work with the Mount Westwire as well. So be able to follow Andy on Twitter. That is at his full name, Andrew Dikoff. And I'll spell out that last name for you. D-I-E-C-K-H-O-F-F. And Andy, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. It is great to have you aboard. And it is great to just be able to take a look at what we're getting in college basketball. I know that you're a guy that you wind up waiting a little bit on your power index. So the last time we wound up chatting, you wound up just putting out your initial rankings. But from what you wound up having in, let's say, mid to late December to now, who's the team that has really moved up or down your board the most? Because it really has been an interesting first few weeks of conference play across the board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, one team, and it's not just in my rankings, but one team that's been rising up a lot the last few weeks is, of course, Auburn. Um, They've been looking great so far. They've just got the one loss as it stands to Connecticut in, I think, double overtime a while back. And they're now coming off a big, big, big home win over Kentucky. They're a team that has jumped up very high. I mean, because my analytics are based in efficiency, similar to how Ken Palms is, at least partially, Auburn isn't quite as high up because they don't have as many blowouts as, say, teams like Gonzaga or Arizona. Arizona, they've always kind of been the team that's been sitting at the top of this thing because they've played a pretty weak schedule overall. They're starting to get into it in the Pac-12 a little bit, but they're kind of riding off of a lot of blowouts there, the same way that Gonzaga is and probably will continue to in the WCC if their recent just turning on the Jets against San Francisco is any uh, indication of how they're playing. Yeah, it's been really interesting to take a look at Auburn and to your point, Arizona. This team has been an absolute monster. We're doing this with Arizona getting set for a big game against Cal on Sunday. And when it comes to this one, Arizona has been able to overcome all challengers. This is a game which Arizona is favored by 13 and a half points. I think that this might be a little bit too demonstrative, but what I think really gets lost on this Arizona team is that the defense has been really good as well because we all talk about Arizona and the fact that you've got Ben Matherin doing all that he's doing. You take a look at someone like a Kirk Risa, who has been able to do a nice job at the point guard spot. List goes on and on, but I think that people cannot sleep on the job that Arizona's been able to do on defense. I think that that allows them to not necessarily have a letdown spot against Cal, though. I do think that 13 and a half might be a little bit too much with regards to the spread. I think that they are going to be able to overcome a challenge against a Cal team that really likes to pull things out because they're good on both sides of it. Yeah, I really think that the way that they've been so strong on defense has really been what is making me believe in them as a team. I think that can keep this going. If this was just a team that was making a lot of threes and looked very streaky, you know, those streaks can end. Alabama was a top five team a couple weeks ago, and then the threes stopped falling and, you know, some other things happen, and that's not how they're being talked about anymore. With Arizona, not to say that Alabama has a bad defense necessarily, but I think that Arizona is more built on that strong interior defense with Coloco, with Omar Balo, as well as Tubelas. These are all guys who can play good interior defense as well. And then you do have good players on the perimeter as well. So it's just, it's a really good defense. I mean, they're holding opponents to under 40% shooting on two pointers, which is just crazy. That leads the nation right now. So that's one of the reasons why I do believe in this Arizona team. I'm not sure, you know, about the 13 and a half point spread. They've been 
doing really well so far in conference play. But California's got a, a pretty good defense of their own that maybe could stifle some of the scoring and keep that margin down a little bit. I agree with you, as we do have Andy Decoff does a terrific job over there. He checks CPB Portland Tribune along with the Madras Pioneer, and he's joining me on the podcast. And to your point about Cal, out of all the teams out there in the Pac-12, I think obviously Arizona's been the biggest prize because we thought that Arizona would be relatively solid. I don't think really anyone thought that they'd be top five good, but I mean, with Cal, I was having people asking me before the season, will this team be able to get over two wins in conference this year? And Obviously, the answer is yes to this point, and I would say that they've been a very pleasant surprise in a Pac-12 in which, other than really your main teams, it's been a big, giant letdown from the middle of the conference. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think you look at California, they're sitting at 9-9, nine and nine, which is not great. It's better than I think was expected of that program this year. Um, yeah, they're 2-5. and five as we speak right now in conference play going into the Arizona game, you know, that's kind of to be expected, I guess, you know, they weren't expected to be at the top of the league, but they were expected to be very squarely in the bottom. And, and they're showing that, you know, they're at least going to be fighting to not be in the basement. And you look at some of the wins that they've got, and there's a couple good ones on here. Um, Fresno state is not a bad win by any stretch. And they beat a Santa Clara team who I believe that was while Josef Vronkic was out. Still, that's a good Santa Clara team regardless. It just, you know, wasn't at full strength, but still a good win. And they beat Arizona State by 24 points. And of course, you know, they beat Oregon State <laughs> as well. But, you know, Oregon State and Arizona State, neither of those wins are huge. But these are pretty good results. I mean, they only lost by three to Seton Hall. California has been a bit better than expected. You know, getting a guy like Mark Fox into that program is good. I mean, the, the results haven't followed quite yet, but a guy with a little bit more pedigree, I guess, than they'd had in years past. Viking Jones didn't really get the job done, you know, in his first tenure there. Now that they bring in a more experienced head coach, I think maybe you're seeing the program start to build a little bit because Mark Fox has done that before. He's built programs up and gotten them to tournaments. Yep, absolutely. Mark Fox, well, he didn't have any place to go other than up after the Viking Jones era, but right. <laughs> certainly things have been able to go a little bit better for Cal. Even though the record is 9-9, nine to nine, I just feel like this has been a team that has been better than expected. They're actually, if you take a look at it, one of the better teams against the spread in all of college basketball, I believe 12-5, and five, going to this game in games which have been on the betting board. So they've been able to do a very solid job there. And Andy, the other game out there in the Pac-12, it is in, your state of Oregon, you've got the Ducks taking on Washington. The Ducks, once again, an absolutely terrible start to the year. And lo and behold, a Dana Altman coach team winds up being able to pick up steam once Scott Fritz winds up beginning. A story as true as the dawn of time. I would argue that this was probably the most cataclysmically bad start to what we've seen in the Dana Altman era. But I mean, they go on the road, they knock off both UCLA and USC, two top 10 teams. In back-to-back games, now they're going to be playing against the Washington team that, I will say, to Washington's credit, ever since they've them coming off of their COVID pause, this has actually been a halfway decent team. They knock off Stanford. They go on the road. They knock off Oregon State. They get a win against Cal. They get a win against Utah as a double-digit underdog. So the Washington team that, all of a sudden, they've been a little bit more respectable. Ironically enough, Mike Hopkins has been out due to COVID-19, and I would argue that the team looks a little bit better. But how do you end up seeing this one playing out? Because you've got a pair of teams that, they look absolutely awful at the beginning of the year, and 
They're actually starting to pick it up. I think that Oregon is going to take this one. They're coming home for the first time since New Year's Day. They're doing it having gone, like you said, they went on the road to get those three wins, but not just anywhere on the road, right? They went to Corvallis and they got a win basically at the buzzer against Oregon State. I think... If they lose that game, the trajectory of the season changes quite a bit. But going in there and winning the game and winning it the way that they did, I think that put a pep in their step, right? And then they go just a few days later down to this top five, two top five teams that they're playing and they go and beat them both. They beat UCLA in overtime, right? So that's usually when the home team takes it back right, is in overtime. To see Oregon then go and still push through and get the win after that, of course, just energizes them further. And then they go and they beat USC. So I think that they are definitely hitting their stride right now. You're getting production from Will Richardson, the kind of production that you wanted to see from Will Richardson that people like me say who put Oregon in their top 10 in the preseason, which was a little crazy, I can admit. But I was thinking that I was going to see this kind of Will Richardson that we've been seeing recently. And then you get performances from guys like Jacob Young, Eric Williams. If you get guys like this stepping up with all the pieces that they have on this Oregon team, I think that they're going to be right back in the fray for this you know, top four Maybe even, you know, top three of the Pac-12 with UCLA and Arizona, definitely. And I think they're going to be right there with USC when it's all said and done. Yep, obviously you've got Arizona, UCLA, and USC right now as your top three as we're recording this. But Oregon could be able to get in the mix. Washington comes into this game four and two in conference as well, which I didn't see that coming up. No, not, not at all. And it's been fun to see. And, you know, Terrell Brown has been so good. He's been one of the top point guards in the country, really. When you look at the whole game and especially just looking, you know, and I know assist to turnover ratio necessarily isn't the best thing, but if you look at the rates on the possessions, he's up over 30% on his assist rate and he's under 10% on his turnover rate. And that's just, that's not normal. Most guys, they don't have numbers like that. Maybe a couple other guys, Isaiah Stevens at Colorado State, maybe Cam Spencer at Loyola, Maryland. Not a lot of guys though have numbers like these. And so when you're talking about great point guard play, you're getting it from him. And it's crazy because he doesn't shoot threes. I mean, he's taken like 30 on the season, but he's not a good three-point shooter. He gets to the rim. He's got a great mid-range game. Terrell Brown has been huge. And then you just get the fact that there's a bunch of Seattle guys coming home to play for this team. Brown is one of them. You also have Emmett Matthews is another one. Dejon Davis is another one. So you just got a bunch of guys who are coming home to play for their hometown team. And, you know, you mentioned that Mike Hopkins wasn't on the sideline for some of these games. Who knows? Maybe that's helping. Maybe it's not. I wonder, you know, in a season like this where it seemed like kind of a foregone conclusion, like, okay, Washington's going to struggle again, and then they're going to get rid of Mike Hopkins, and then we'll see what happens with this program. Well, now they're in this weird spot where they're 9-7, and and if they end up doing well enough, can they fire Mike Hopkins? Do they want to? How long does the Mike Hopkins era last after something like this, I wonder? That certainly was not a narrative I expected to come out. Is Mike Hopkins somehow going to save his job at Washington even if he's not there on the sideline. <laughs> it has been so intriguing to take a look at that as Mike Hopkins certainly has not been able to get the job done ever since he wound up losing the guys that Lorenzo Romar wanted recruiting into the program. And that's a perfect segue as we talked about guys not getting the job done as we know Andy Decoff's ready to be on the podcast. Another game that I think is so intriguing for this Sunday. 
You've got our good friends, Memphis, hitting the road to Phantom against Tulsa, a game that was a three-point game. When this game was in Memphis, oh, man. I mean, I wound up tweeting this out a couple days ago. I think that Penny Hardaway out of 358 D1 coaches, he's right now number 358. Memphis should be able to win this game by double digits with their talent. They've got all the riches in the world. You saw the Penny Hardaway post-game pressure saying, oh, these guys are young and everything like that. Well, you wind up getting the number one recruiting class in the country two out of three years. You know what? You better be able to do a little bit of something with it. And this is a Tulsa team that they shoot right around 36, 37% from three. They generate eight steals per game. I think that this could be another spot in which Memphis might wind up stubbing their toe after losing three straight. I mean, it's certainly possible, you know, and it is Tulsa doing a little bit looking at the opponent, rather looking at Memphis. You know, they have lost five straight and they're 0-5 in, in the American. And one of those losses was to Memphis, but only by three points. <laughs> and that was in Memphis, right? So there's precedent for this being a close game, closer than maybe it should be. In that game, Sam Griffin went off for Tulsa. He had 25 points, the UT Arlington transfer. You also had Jariah Horn going for 20. Did you get something like that happening again? Yeah, Memphis could be in trouble for sure. My issue, I guess, with what Penny said and with everything, I guess, is when he goes and when he uses the excuse of, you know, we're starting four freshmen, that's hard because they're so revered for their recruiting classes that all of a sudden, you know, you're saying that they're not ready, I guess. I suppose that there's some part of that that's on the media for maybe putting too much expectations on these freshmen too soon. But I don't necessarily know that enough is being done to counter that <laughs> either. So, you know, these kids are coming in and we're saying that, you know, Penny's got two number one draft picks on his roster or something like that, you know. And I don't really hear a lot coming out of Memphis disputing that until all of a sudden the losses happen. And now it's like, well, these are 17, 18 year old kids, guys. You know, that rubs me the wrong way. It feels like it's kind of throwing them under the bus, too. And, you know, you trusted them. You knew you were going to start them when you recruited them. So, and let me know. throw this in here as well. He's talking about having to start all these freshmen and everything like that. For one, you're the one that set up the roster. Right. And number two, what team hasn't been dealing with injuries, COVID, what have you? I mean, out of 358 D1 teams, I think at least 340 of them have been dealing with all of this. And so that's where that rings hollow to me. I don't love the crassness of the reply. I guess I don't really care. I'm not offended by it. I'm not clutching my pearls about it. It's more just like, really, that's where you're going. But I also understand the frustration of having to sit there and answer that question, you know, with somebody putting a recorder in your face as a journalist who's had to talk to coaches after losses before, you know, I haven't had that happen, thankfully, but you know, I see that look on the face when I ask them, you know, after a tough loss, you know, so where do you go from here? Or you know, how do you bounce back from something like this? And it's like, I don't want to talk about that right now. They're frustrated from the loss. So those post game comments, they can get a little wild sometimes. And you know, people's emotions are running high, but not great when your emotions are running high and you go to the, you know, let's blame the roster. Yeah, it's one of those things where every single team is dealing with injuries, COVID. When you're the one that winds up bringing in a bunch of freshmen, you know that a lot of these guys are going to be one and done. It's nothing that is necessarily too shocking. Benny Hardaway has pretty much been handed a Ferrari with his roster, and he has pretty much driven it into a ditch at this point. So, that's the way that I look at it myself. A man that has a Ferrari and he's got it going like 500 miles an hour, though. That'd be you, Andy. You do an absolutely <laughs> terrific job over there at eCheck CVV. Your power index is absolutely amazing. 
You do a great job when it comes to the Portland Tribune along with the Madras Pioneer as well, looking more in the state of Oregon with regards to athletics there. So hope you get people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and everything that you've got going on in general. Absolutely, yeah. So like you said, for college basketball, the best place to find my work is at heatcheckcbb.com. A bunch of different analytics are on there. We do daily college basketball player rankings in our Gold Star Guide. We do daily predictions in our forecast. We do daily team rankings in the Decoff Power Index. So that's really the best place to find my college hoops work. If you are, for whatever reason, interested in my more local work, yeah, the Portland Tribune and the Madras Pioneer. You can find those online and you can read some of my work there about the Beavers or about local prep sports. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Decuff. And you're doing an absolutely amazing job of just taking a look at the game of college basketball over there at each XCBB. More of his local work for the Portland Tribune, Madras Pioneer. Also amazing over there as well. And always delivers whenever he's on this podcast as well. So big thanks to Andy for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. Now part of the Vista family podcast. Coming up next is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit the bank shop. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Spears, And now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts, always great to be joined by Andy Decoff. He does absolutely amazing work over there at eCheckCBB. And on top of that, does some great work out there with the Portland Tribune and Madras Pioneer. Always delivers the goods whenever he joins me. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the college basketball betting board for this Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren Scorty. When we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, this is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits come after that. I'll make it very easy for you. The games out there in the Northeastern Conference, those are going to be the games at the bottom. Everything else is going to be up top and pretty much in time order. There might be a little bit of variance there, but for the most part, it does wind up going in time order. I think that I called it up top, which I think that that's actually... A very good phrase for it. It just sounds fun in general. So how about if we start with this first game of 825-826 on the betting board. You've got Butler, and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against Providence. And the Friars find themselves as a 9-point favorite with your total on this game, 127. And 
For Butler, it has been a really, really bad year for them, and I think that they get pounded in this game. I did wind up setting Providence as a 12-point favorite, and a big reason why is because I think that Providence is going to be able to plow down low. You've got yourself a guy in Nate Watson who's been able to give you right around 16 points, six-ish rebounds per game, so he has been effective for this team. And then Or Horschler, a guy that stands right around six foot eight-ish. He's been able to shoot over 40% from three-point range. Has done a solid job on the glass himself. As a matter of fact, leads the team with eight and a half rebounds to go along with his 10 points per game, so that has been very beneficial for the team, and then you take a look at the flip side for Butler, and this has been a bunch that they've been a little bit better on the glass ever since they got Bryce Enzi back, 8.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, but all in all, they shoot 31.5% for three. Aaron Thompson does give you four assists to right around two turnovers per game, but it's a team that they do turn the ball over darn near 13 times per game while being in the bottom 35 with regards to possessions per game. Chuck Harris has been all over the place. He's been a little bit banged up, and in the last five games, 6, 9, 15, 0, and 16 points. So you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him now. Good news is Jaden Taylor has been able to step up a little bit more for the team, but once again, 9, 4, 5, 19, and 2 points. There is no consistency whatsoever with this Butler team. Bryce Golden is able to shoot 30 some percent from three has a little bit of size, but I do think that Providence is actually playing very well in the backcourt, even though they have been without A.J. Reeves in recent games. You've been able to have Al Durham step up with 13.5 points per game. You had Jared Byron who's shooting now right around 32.5 percent from three-point range. He has stepped up his play. Nine plus points in each of the last five games. Has been turning the ball over a little bit more. Three plus turnovers in far the last five, but Butler's not a team that forces a lot of turnovers. Once again, early tip time in this one. 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, so I think that both of these teams are going to be relatively tired you got a pair of teams that they don't really put the ball in the basket to start with. So, said the solo 125. I'm willing to go under with Providence. One to lay up to 12 years. So, laying the points. 827, 828 on the betting board. Purdue is going to be playing us in Northwestern. Northwestern is a 13-point underdog with your total. And between 149 and a half and 150. I think that this total is a little bit too high. Once again, got a little bit of an earlier tip time. Noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific. But... When it comes to Purdue, I do think that this is going to be a very good spot for them. Set them as a 14.5 point favorite. I think that Northwestern is going to get just completely decimated on the glass. And you do have Pete Nance for this Northwestern team. 16.5 points, 7.5 boards. He is able to shoot 43% from three. Has given the team 15 plus points in three out of the last four games. And has given the team three plus assists in each out of the last four as well. But this is a Northwestern team that with regards to their efficiency, it's just not there on the defensive end. They do a good job of not turning the ball over top 10 in the country with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis. But this Purdue Purdue team is just an absolute wagon at home. You notice some big splits with Purdue at Mackey versus on the road. Sasha Stefanovic shoots 40% from three. He's been able to get the team double figures. Jaden Ivey, 16 points, five rebounds, three assists. This is a guy that when he's at home, he averages more like 15 points per game. So he has been rock solid there, at least 14 points in four out of the last five games and really doesn't turn the ball over a lot either. And then when it comes to what you're able to get down low, Travion Williams and Zach Eady are averaging 15.9 rebounds at 29 points per game. That is just so hard to be able to match up with. Now, Purdue has been shortening up their rotation a little bit. Guys like A. Caleb First have been seeing a couple fewer minutes, but they're still relatively effective with it, and if needed, they are able to go to their bench a little bit. Let me take a look at Chase Odish for this Northwestern team. He's been able to pick up some steam. 13 points, 5 boards in the 9 games that he's been out there. He wanted missing the early part of the season, and this is a Northwestern team that they shoot 35% for 3, but Purdue, a top 40 team in all of college basketball, when it comes to being able to guard the 3-point arc, they do a really good job on the inside as well, so someone like Ryan Young is able to give you 10 points, 4.5 boards, 
game. I don't think that he's got much of a shot. Boo Booey has been able to give the team five and a half assists, 15 points per game, and he's been relatively effective, but has now had three plus turnovers in three of the last five games as well. Purdue non SC team is going to light it up with regards to turnovers. I think that they're going to be playing at a relatively moderate pace, so I did wind up saying the total at 144 and a half. I'm willing to go under both Purdue. Want to lay pretty much two touchdowns on the extra points at this line of 14 and a half. So, laying it here with Purdue, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under 829, 830 on the bank board. Niagara is going to be playing us a rider. The Broncos are finding themselves anywhere between seven and seven and a half point underdogs, and your total on this game is 130 and a half. When it comes to rider, I wound up saying them as a seven point dog, mostly seven halves out there. So, I'm going to be taking a look at the points here with rider. Now, with Niagara, what they do a good job of is being able to slow down games. They are in the bottom 35 with regards to possessions per game, but for rider, I do like the fact that you've got the duo of Devencio Vaughn along with Dwight Murray Jr. These two guys have both been able to give you between 12 and a half and 13 points per game. They combined to be able to give you 13 and a half rebounds. You've got Murray Jr. giving you 4.3 assists. Vaughn shoots more around 35% per three, and they combined to shoot about 80% the free throw line. Ryder, 75.5% free throw shooting team. That's going to be big if this game is tight late. You do have a Ryder team that's able to give you 7.5 steals per game, and then down low, you get 6.5 boards per game out of Ajiri Oguamo Johnson. This is a Niagara team that is one of the lesser teams in all of college basketball. The guards are rebounding. Marcus Hammond is probably going to be the best player out there on the floor, 17 and a half points, four and a half boards. He shoots 40% per three in Niagara's collective. They shoot 36% from the outside, 75% of the free throw line. They really don't turn the ball over a ton, right around 12 turnovers per game. They don't necessarily force a lot of steals either. You've got Sam Oreo who's able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. Jordan Sintron, more around six bars per game. And for Sintron, he has looked relatively solid recently. You take a look at him. He's been able to give the team at least seven rebounds in three of the last four games, a pair of games in which we wound up having 11. So give him a lot of credit there. But I do think that this is a Niagara team that they are going to be able to get their tempo in this game, which is relatively slow, but I do think that late game fouling is going to be able to push this total over, and both of these teams relatively effective on the offensive end, Ryder has been finding themselves a little bit more here recently. They have been able to do a solid job giving you at least 67 points so far the last five games out there in a Metro Atlantic in which you've got a bunch of low and slow teams and then Niagara, they themselves have been pumping up their offense with at least 68 in four out of the last five. So I do take a look at the over, set this all at 135 and with Ryder. I do think that their free throw shooting keeps them alive in this game. Set this line at seven, so willing to take seven and a half along with the over. 831, 832 on the banging board. Canisius is going to be playing us the St. Peter's of Peacocks. Find themselves anywhere between one and two point road favorites. And your tall game is 132 with St. Peter's. Set them at two and a half. So I am willing to lay the one to two here with St. Peter's because I do think that they are going to be able to dominate this game down low. Casey Undefu has been absolutely amazing with regards to blocking shots. 2.3 per contest. Actually led all of college basketball in terms of block shots last season out there in the backcourt. Doug Eggert along with Daryl Banks, the third, have been able to give you a little bit over 20 points per game. They combined to be able to shoot about 35.5% from three-point range. And then the Portland transfer, Isaiah Dasher, has been able to come on strong recently, only averaging for the season about six and a half points per game, but Last two contests, a combined 25 points. A guy that really doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Shoots 40% from three. That's big because St. Peter's is a collective. They shoot 68% of the free throw line, 32% from three, a little bit over 14 turnovers per game. And for Canisius, they do have Malik Green back in the fold. 13 points, five and a half points for the six foot seven combo player that shoots 34% from three. But Canisius, they only shoot right around 70.5% at the free throw line, 30.3% from three. They do a good job of being able to maintain the ball. 12 turnovers per game, but at the same time, they only generate right around six steals per game as well. You do have Yako Fritz, who's been able to give you 
maybe right around five and a half boards, a little bit of a versatile big man who's been able to come on strong recently, at least eight points in four of the last five games. He does give you a couple assists, but can sometimes get a little bit loose with the ball as well. So that is a little bit of an issue for the team. And Armand Harried, I think, is going to be a little bit of an X factor as well. Six foot five combo player. He's been able to give Canisius right around 11 and a half points per game, but only shoots 58% of the charity stripe, 27% from three point range. Has been seeing a little bit of a dip in production, 11 points for fear in each of the last four games. So that is a little bit of a red flag for me. I do think that St. Peter's going to be able to win from within. They've got a little bit of a hole is greater than some of its parts approach when it comes to the backcourt. So I do think that this is going to be a game which St. Peter's is going to be able to take full control because St. Peter's they themselves, one of these slowest teams in all of college basketball, Canisius looking to pump up the tempo, but I think that St. Peter's wins the tempo battle, which allows them to be able to win the game. Set St. Peter's as a two and a half point favorite, won't lay it here, and with this total, made it a 130 and a half, so I'm diving under. 833, 834 on the bang board. Manhattan is going to be at the road faceoff against Monmouth. Monmouth is finding themselves anywhere between 10 and 10 and a half point favorites with your total on this game, and we're between 143 and a half and 144, and this is another spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at a Manhattan over. Manhattan has been the best over team in all of college basketballs. All but three of their 14 games have gone up on the betting board, have went over the total. Meanwhile, you take a look at Monmouth, they are still 14 and 3 against the spread. They have been a juggernaut there, and I did wind up setting this line at 10 and a half. Now, at a 10 and a half, I would rather take the points with Manhattan rather than lay them at 10. Then I'm going to be in on Monmouth. I'm going to wait to see if we wind up getting like an 11, 11 and a half, because I do think that that is going to play into the hands of Manhattan a little bit more. I'd rather take an 11 rather than lay a 10 personally in this spot. Jose Perez has been very good for this Manhattan team. 17 and a half points, three and a half boards, five assists. He's not a great three-point shooter, but Manhattan in past years, the reason why they were such an under team is because they were featured at the free throw line. They've played a lot of close games and they shoot right around 74% the charity strike. They only shoot about 31% from three, but they do now have Ant Nelson back in the fold now. The thing with Ant Nelson is that he's going to commit turnovers. He's committed at least three and three out of the last four games and overall for the season, 3.4 per contest, but he's a guy that shoots 45.5% from three with 11.5 points per game, so give him some credit. You've got someone that comes in from St. John's in Josh Roberts, who's been able to give you 5.5 points per game. Elijah Buchanan, 7.5 points, right around five boards per game out of him as well. A very deep team in Manhattan, and then you take a look at Monmouth, and you've got a good backcourt in Shavar Reynolds, coupled with George Pappas. They've been able to combine for 31 points, nine boards, five and a half assists. They combine to be able to shoot about 86% the free throw line, 35 and percent from three-point range. You've got Walker Miller, the brother of Wes Miller, who's been absolutely tremendous as a stretch big man, 14 points, six boards. He shoots in the low 30s from three. This is a mammoth theme that they themselves make 77% of the free throws, about 33.5% from three-point range. You do commit right around 13 turnovers per game. They're not a team that they create a bunch of seals, but I do like what you're able to get out of Nikhil Ruti down low, right around six half rebounds per game. Samuel Chapit, just a good on-ball defender in general. So I'm taking a look at another over in this spot. Set this all at 144.5, so I am in there with Monmouth. I'm willing to lay the 10 year with them, but I'm in a little bit of wait and see mode because I'd rather have an 11 with Manhattan because we are seeing some 10 and halfs out there, and I did wind up saying my line at a 10 and a half. So we're in a little bit more wait and see mode there, but as of right now, I'd be willing to lay it here with Monmouth at a 10, especially if we wind up getting a 9 and a half. We'll be a little bit more in there. So, like I said, in a little bit more wait and see mode, but at current numbers, we'll be willing to lay a 10 with Monmouth to go along with an over. 835, 836 on the betting board. You got Evansville, and Evansville is going to be playing with Illinois State. Illinois State between a four and four and a half point favorite in your total on this game. Say between 137 and 137 and a half. And when it comes to the spot, I actually made this total 135. This is a rematch of a game that we wound up seeing a couple days ago, and 
I got to think that Evansville is going to have a little bit more pride than what they wound up showing on Friday because they got bludgeoned by kind of 94 to 56. The game wanted tipping off and then the game was over. I mean, Evansville was just completely blown out in this game for Illinois State. They wound up going off and they wound up being able to shoot 70% from the floor at 8 of 16 for 3. I'm going to go out here on a limb and I'll say that they're not going to shoot 70% from the floor in this game. Now, when it comes to Illinois State, you do have a guy in Antonio Reeves that's been able to give you right around 20.5 points per game. He's been a great three-point shooter, able to pump it in there at a 41% clip, and Illinois State has been a top 20 team with regards to possessions per game. Evansville is the exact opposite. They rank in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions per game. Now, Evansville, they do rank in the bottom 50 with regards to offensive efficiency, but you do have a pair of guys giving you 14.1 points per game apiece in Juwan Newton along Shavar Givens. They combine to be able to give you 10 boards, 5 assists, 2.5 steals per game. They both shoot about 32% from 3. Problem is, nobody else on the team gives you more than 7.5 points per game. That'd be no Frederick King. You do have a little bit of, shall we say, a woe down low as right now Newton and his 5.9 rebounds per game. Only guy that's giving you more than 4.1 per contest. You take a look at Illinois State and you do have a guy inside Chapman. He's been able to do a solid job. 14 points, 6 boards. I do like what you're able to get out of a guy in Josiah Strong as well who shoots 46.5% for 3. All in all, Illinois State shooting 38.5% from 3-point range. You only turn the ball for 13 times per game when you're in the top 20 with regards to possessions per game. That's actually really good. Mark Freeman is back in the fold. He's able to shoot in the mid-30s from 3-point range with 9 points per game and you've been able to get a lot of production recently out of Howard Fleming Jr. He's had double digits in each of the last three games, eight plus points in now five of the team's last six games. And I do like the fact that he shoots 40% from three. I do though think that Evansville is going to make some corrections. It's not that the game a few days ago was necessarily super up-tempo. Illinois State just literally hit everything. I think that Evansville is going to be able to lock down a little bit more here. I set this total at 135, so I'm going to be willing to take it under. With Illinois State though, I'm willing to lay the four to four and a half. I'm willing to lay up to five here with Illinois State, set the line at five out of five exactly. I'd rather lay it before I'd be willing to take it. So pretty much until we reach five and a half, I'm willing to take it here with Illinois State. But we're looking at that to go along with an under, as I said, my total at 135. 837, 838 on the betting board. You've got Marquette and they're going to be playing us as Xavier, the X-Men. Between one and a half and two point favorites in your tallest game. And we're between 145 and a half and 147. And when it comes to the X-Men, I wound up saying them as a two and a half point favorite. Rematch of what we wound up seeing in December. That was a game in which you wound up seeing both teams be able to get to 70 points. It wound up being an 81 to 70 win for Xavier. I want to personally getting a cover. I think that I wound up having 11 and a half in that game. So that is going to be something that you do want to be taking a look at. But I do think that Xavier has the chops to be able to get a tough road win against the Marquette team that we just wound up seeing them knock off Villanova a couple days ago. And that's a Marquette team that I've become much more bullish on. You've got a guy in Justin Lewis who's able to give you 15.5 points, 7.5 boards, all in all Marquette. Now shooting about 34.5% from three, 72.5% the free line. 7.7 seals per game isn't necessarily impressive with regards to their tempo, the way that they wind up playing. But it's been going up and up and up in recent weeks. They've been doing a better job with that Havoc defense. You can tell that this team is getting more flow with one another. Greg Elliott was out at the beginning of the year. He's shooting 52% from three, eight and a half points per game. I think you're going to see a little bit of regression there, but you've also been able to get seven and a half points and nearly 38% three-point shooting out of Cam Jones. Tyler Kolick has been able to give you six and a half assists per game, but then you take a look at the flip side for Xavier, and this has been a bunch that has been relatively impressive. Had a little bit of a scare against DePaul, but Jack Nunge has been terrific. 12 and a half points, seven boards, comes in from Iowa. He's been able to give the team a block and a half per game, which has been big because Zach Fremantle has not been himself since coming back. Eight and a half points, five boards per game, 
but Kobe Jones, 11.5 points, 8 boards per game, all in all, Xavier, oh, he shoots about 34% from 3, nothing great, nothing terrible, but they do force themselves nearly 8 steals per game, Paul Scruggs has been looking a little bit better recently as well, got off to a little bit of a tough start to the season, but now has been able to get the team 5 plus assists in 3 of the last 4 games, 2 turnovers are fewer in 3 of them too, so that is going to be a big sign for this team, and Adam Kunkel, oh uncle, has this guy been relatively solid, away from home, he's shooting 44% from distance with 9.5 points per game, he's shooting that right around that range with regards to points per game at home, but actually has shot better from three-point range on the road, which I do think is very fascinating, and I do think that he's going to be a little bit of a spark plug for this team to be able to get Xavier to the window. I did wind up saying my total at a 146.5. We're mostly seeing 145.5 to 146. I do think that you wind up getting late game following both of these teams. Relatively comparable there, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over in this spot, and willing to lay up to two and a half here with the X-Men, so willing to lay the points. 839, 840 on the betting board. Maris going to be playing Lisa Fairfield. Lisa Stags. Alright, three and a half point underdog in your total on this game. Ever team 129 and a half and 130 and for Fairfield I want to make them a one point favorite. I'm willing to take them on the money line. These two teams wound up doing battle a little bit earlier in the season and for Fairfield that was a little bit of a tough one as they wound up losing that game by kind of 60 to 51 with Maris I just don't necessarily know what to make out of this offense because with regards to assist per made field goal, they are one of the bottom teams in all of college basketball. They're playing a whole lot of isolation. Ricardo Wright, along with Jay Atuka, have both been able to give you between 14.5 and 15 points per game. Wright is shooting 43% from three-point range with four and a half points per game. Atuka shooting 57% from the outside. I think every single shot that he's made has been a three-pointer this year. You've also got Sokelo Kele. He winds up coming in from Southern. He has been terrific for this team recently, giving them nine plus points at each the last four games, four plus boards in all of them. Problem is, he does wind up getting into a lot of foul trouble. This is a Maris team that with regards to seals, they get right around six per contest. They do commit 13 and after an offense game, but I do take a look at Fairfield. It's been a very efficient offense. They've turned the ball over right around 11 and a half times per game. Supreme Cook, I think is going to be able to bake up something down low. 10 points, 8 rebounds per game. I think that he's the best post presence in this game. And then you take a look at what you're able to get. Uh, Taj betting along Jake Wojcik. These two guys give you 11 points per game. Wojcik shoots right around 36.5% from three, 92% the free throw line. All in all, Fairfield, they shoot 34% from the outside, 71% at the free throw line. You've also got a guy in Caleb Green that does a good job of dishing out the ball. 2.9 assists to 1.3 turnovers per game. Ian Aces Cruz both give you right around 8 points per game. I think that the sheer depth of Fairfield is going to be able to come through in this game. Maris, they don't necessarily have too bad of depth either, but they don't have a lot down low. Matthew Hermesy is the only guy that's giving you more than 4.5 rebounds per game. I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue, like what you're able to get out of Jordan Jones, who's been able to give you a little bit over a block per contest. Both of these teams Certainly, a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of late game fouling, but both of these teams are relatively slow. Why not saying this total at a 130? We're seeing anywhere between 129.5 and 130. I'd rather take 130 over rather than under personally. So if you got it sitting right on the summer, I will be taking a look at the over. I personally am looking at one of these 129.5s over. And when it comes to Fairfield, I don't think that you're going to need the points because I think they win the game outright. So we want to take them on the money line to go along with this total over. 841, 842 on the betting board. Young Sound State. Going to be in the red face-off against Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is finding themselves as a three-point favorite. Seeing some three-and-a-halves out there as well. Your total is 140-and-a-half to 141-and-a-half with Young Sound State. I want to make them a three-and-a-half point underdog. So, look at the lay at three-year when it comes to Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne has been a relatively solid three-point shooting team of about 34.5% from distance as a collective, but take a look at this Young Sound State team, and I do think that they're going to be able to hang in there on the glass because you do have Michael Acucci giving you 13.5 points, 7.5 points per game, but R.A. Capadia is able to step up for Fort Wayne. Comes in from a 
Vermont. He's been able to get this team a little bit over 9.6 boards. You've got a Fort Wayne team that's also shooting 78.5% free line. I think that that's going to be a big determiner in this game. Among your top six scores, five of them are shooting at least 80.5% at the free throw line, which is tremendous. Jared Godfrey, 16.5 points, four boards, four assists, 1.7 seals per game. And when it comes to Fort Wayne, they've done a good job of pickpocketing. Eight and a half seals per game. The 13.7 turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly, but it's actually better than what it's last year. And then when it comes to Youngstown State, they've done a good job of being able to take care of the ball. 12 turnovers per game. Tavion Olison is able to give you 12.5 points, five boards. He shoots right around 33% from three. Youngstown State, they themselves shoot 75.5% at the free throw line. So I think that that is something that you do want to be taking note of. But Fort Wayne, they rank outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. Youngstown State, a bottom 75 team with this aspect as well. Shamir Rathan Mays has been a good three-point shooter for Youngstown State, shooting 44% from the outside, 13 plus points in three out of the last four games. But I do fear that this is going to be a Youngstown State team with really nothing other than a coochie down low that is not going to be able to have a lot of success there. I do feel like the backcourt of Fort Wayne is going to be able to win out because you do have a guy like a Jalen Pipkins who's able to give you 12.5 points per game and then Damian Chung Q has been a good facilitator for this team with a little bit over three assists under two turnovers per game. So I look at Fort Wayne, should be able to get the job done in this spot. Set them as a three and a half point favorite. I do think the Youngstown State gets their slow tempo, so set the total 135 and a half as well. So diving under and willing to lay the three to three and a half year with Fort Wayne. 843, 844 on the betting board. Iona hits the face off against Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac is a seven and a half to an eight point underdog in your total on this game. It's 149. I typically don't like to lay north of a touchdown on the road, but this Iona team is certainly worth it. They have been playing some very fun and entertaining games this season, but I don't think that this one is going to be quite that. Now, for Quinnipiac, the good news for this team, you've got Kevin Marfo. He's able to give you 9.9 points, 10.6 rebounds per game, and a little bit over 4 assists per game. He's been terrific with that aspect. The bad news for this team is that this guy has committed 18 turnovers in the last five games, so that's a little bit of an issue for a Bobcats team that they have been without their main facilitator over the last 8 or so games in Savion Lewis, a guy that had been able to give this team right around 4 assists per game with Quinnipiac. They shoot 76% at the free throw line. Jacob Bergoni makes 95% of his free throws, 34% for 3 9 and a half points per game, and then Matt LeBlanc is back. He has been able to do a solid job being able to give this team 15 points per game. It's been a little bit shaky since coming off of injury, but he has been able to find it a little bit more recently now, thing is, he shoots 40% from three, a shot 33% from distance or worse in each of the last four games, so I do have a little bit of issue there. Tyrese Williams and Timu Chineri have both been able to give you between eight and eight and a half points per game. You've got Williams shooting 38% from three-point range, but then you take a look at Iona. This team has been absolutely terrific on the glass and a big reason why Nelly Jr. Joseph, 13 and a half points, eight and a half rebounds, fewer than two turnovers per game. He's been able to give you 1.8 blocks per contest. Tyson Jolly makes 40% of his threes. He's able to pump in their 14 and a half points per game. Elijah Joyner Good facilitator for the team. Comes in from Tulsa. Three assists of 1.7 turnovers. Is able to give you 11 points per game. And with Iona. With regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, one of the better mid-majors out there in college basketball. Then you have to deal with guys in Quince Lesnitsky along Dylan Van Ike that both stand six foot eight or greater and both of these guys shoot in the high 30s to low 40s from three point range so I think that it's just a bad matchup here for Quinnipiac. I think that Quinnipiac does a halfway decent job on glass in this spot and Iona is a team that they've been pumping up the tempo a little bit more. Quinnipiac they're more of a mid-tempo team so I did wind up saying the total 146. I'm going to be willing to take a look at an under but with Iona I think that they're going to be able to blow away Quinnipiac with how they play on defense holding Quinnipiac to one and done opportunities so 
one lay up to 10 here with Iona, willing to lay the points and take a look at the under. 845, 846 on the betting board. UMass hits the road face off against St. Louis. St. Louis between an 8.5 to a 9 point favorite in your tallest game is anywhere between 153 and 154.5. And, half. and, and when it comes to the spot, I want to sing my total at a 148. You do have a UMass team that's playing relatively up tempo, but St. Louis has been relatively solid with regards to their defense. I think that they're going to be that once again in this game. When it comes to St. Louis, Gibson Jimerson has been able to do some amazing work for the team, being able to give the team 17 points. He's shooting 40% from three, 89% the free throw line. All in all, St. Louis shoots 77% at the charity strike, 37% from three. If they do have one big bugaboo, 13 and after an Orvis game, Yuri Collins has done a nice job of being able to be more of a score for the team. 10 points on 36% three-point shooting, two steals per game, but along with his nearly eight assists per game, 4.2 turnovers per game. That is a little bit of an issue. Francis Okoro, along Tanner Hargrove Jr., both of these guys give you a combined about 18 or so points per game down low. You're able to get about 12 and a half boards per game as well. But then you take a look at UMass, and I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game because Michael Stedman, why is it coming in from Montana, has been relatively sub, being able to give the team seven points, four boards, so he's been a nice stabilizing force down low. You've got both of the Kellys, Rich and CJ Kelly, combined to shoot about 47% from three. They combined for about 26 and a half points per game. Rich is able to give you three and a half assists per game, and then Noah Fernandez has done a nice job being able to run the show. 17 points, five and a half assists. He shoots 42% from three-point range all in all. UMass HDU shoot 41% from three, 74% the free line. I do think that a little bit of regression is going to be coming in here. I just don't think that UMass can continue and shoot north of 40% from three-point range all throughout the season. St. Louis, a relatively good perimeter defense team, so I did wind up saying this total at 148. I do think that at St. Louis is going to be able to get a little bit of revenge in this spot because these two teams wound up doing battle a few days ago. That was a UMass win by kind of 91 to 85 in which things wound up going harebrained. St. Louis shot a little bit over 50% from the floor. UMass, they wound up shooting 52% from the floor on 56 shot attempts. So I do think that things are going to be a little bit more reined in here. You wound up having both teams combined for 20 turnovers. So I think that things are going to be a little bit more sloppy as well. So set this out at 148 diving under it. I think that St. Louis gets revenge. Not enough to be able to cover. Set this line at 8. So I'm willing to take 9 here with UMass. 847, 848 on the betting board. Cleveland State is going to be playing us for Robert Morris. Bobby Morris finding himself a 12 and a half to a 13 point underdog. Very bold of Robert Morris to take on the entire city of Cleveland and your turn on this game anywhere between 144 and a half and 145. And for Cleveland State, I do think that they should be a relatively sizable favorite in this spot. I wound up saying them at a 13 and a half last time these two teams wound up playing. It was the first game for Robert Morris with them having their main facilitator in Rasheem Dunn who wound up transferring out of the fold, not being with the team. I do think that it was a case of which Robert Morris was just having a lot of guys feeling a bunch of adrenaline. They played a little bit above their heads in that game. They wound up losing by kind of 78 to 77. And I think that things are going to be a little bit more controlled in this game. You've got a Cleveland State punch that does a good job of being able to guard the outside in that game. Robert Morris shot 55% from the floor. They did wind up committing 20 turnovers in that game, but they also forced 14 of themselves. I think that Cleveland State is starting to rate it in a little bit more, get a little bit more buttoned up as they have allowed 70 points or fewer in now each out of the last three games. And when it comes to Cleveland State, I do like what you're able to get out of Troy Penn, who I think is going to be the most versatile player out there on the floor. 13 points, 7 boards, 4 assists, seal and a half per game. Doesn't shoot it well from 3 in Cleveland State. They only shoot 32% from 3, 65.5% the free throw line, but Demoy Hodge has really been a ball hawk for this team. A little bit over 2 seals per game, 15.5 points per contest. You take a look at what you're able to get out of Hodge and he's been able to give you at least 2 seals in now 8 out of the last 12 games, so he's been able to excel with that aspect and he's really been able to crank it up with regards to his 3-point shooting percentage. He has shot at least 
40% from the outside in three out of the last four games. You've been able to have Brock Finson be able to give you seven and a half points, four boards per game. It's really a deep Cleveland State team. And for Robert Morris, they just haven't been able to find that main ball handler for this team. They're hoping that it's going to be Michael Green the third. The transfer from Brian has been able to up his play a little bit more. He's been able to give the team at least five assists in each out of the last three games that he's played in. He has been able to give the team 14 plus points in each out of the last four as well, but hasn't necessarily done a lot of good with regards to this Robert Morris team. They've only won one of those games, and that came against a Northern Kentucky team, which has been really, really bad this year. You take a look at Robert Morris, and they shoot as collective about 33% from three. Now, they do shoot 77% at the free line, and Cam Ferris is a guy that's able to pump it in there from three. He's shooting 43% from distance overall, 47% on the road, 10 points per game, so has been able to do a solid job there, but it's just a little bit over the place in the last five games. He has scored 10, 5, 5, 20, and 13 points, so you don't know what to expect out of him night in and night out, and Khalil Spear is the only guy that's given this team more than 5.2 rebounds per game. He's been able to give you 13 half points, 7 rebounds per game. Now, Enoch Cheeks, 8 half points, 5 boards. He's been able to give the team a little bit over a seal per game. He's been versatile, but with Robert Morris, one of the least efficient defenses in all of college basketball, Cleveland State has pumped up their tempo, but I'm noticing that they're starting to get back into the style that wound up taking them to the NCAA tournament last year, which is a little bit more low and slow, so I wound up setting this total at a 141.5. I'm willing to dive under. With Cleveland State, one way up to 13.5 with them. I think that they take it to a short-handed Robert Morris team, so laying the points to take a look at the under. 849, 850 on the betting board. Memphis hits a red face off against Tulsa. Tulsa is finding themselves as a 5.5 to a 6-point underdog in your Tulsa game. It's between 142.5 and 143.5. Under normal circumstances, Memphis should be able to win this game by double digits. Unfortunately, they've got the worst coach in all of college basketball. As a result, when these two teams wound up hooking up about a week or so ago, they very nearly lost on their home floor. Memphis did to Tulsa. That was a game that wound up landing 67 to 64 in that game. Memphis wound up getting a big 46 to 28, but then they just allowed Tulsa to be able to weasel their way back in the game, and this is a Tulsa team that you don't want to allow them to weasel their way back into the game, because they shoot 34.5% from three, 77% the free line, they force eight seals per game, and they only turn the ball over 12 times for contest. This is actually a relatively solid offensive team, with Jariah Horn and Sam Griffin being able to lead the way. These two guys have been able to combine for 33 points per game. Now, Horn is really the only rebounder on this game, only guy giving you more than 4.4 boards per game, and he and Ray Oduo are the only guys that are giving you more than 3.5 boards per game, so Tulsa can be had on the glass, but with Horn, he also chips in there and seal an half per game, shoots 40% from 3, 80% the free line, Sam Griffin shoots 88% the line, 36% from 3 with 1.3 seals per game, and then I do like what you're able to get out of the number 3 option in Darian Jackson, right around 9 points, 2.5 boards, 2 assists, 1.3 seals per game, so these guys have been rock solid. You're going to need to get a little bit more out of someone like in Anthony Pritchard, who has been able to give out right around 3 assists per game, but it's not necessarily much of a score. Then you take a look at the flip side for Memphis. Yes, this team has been dealing with some injuries, but welcome to 2021-2022 because I mean, with COVID going on, you've got a lot of teams that are mixing and matching. DeAndre Williams being on the fold has hurt this team a little bit. Last one playing against Tulsa, ironically enough, on the 4th of January. But he's only shot right around 27% from three with 11.5 points and 2.5 turnovers a game. And that's what's killing Memphis right now. Turnovers. 17.5 per contest. That is one of the worst marks in all of college basketball. Now, you do have Tyler Harris pumping it in from three-point range. 47.5% three-point shooter. He's been able to give the team 13-plus points at each of the last four games, so he's actually been relatively good for this team, and I do like what you're able to get out of Jalen Duran along with Imani Bates. Both of these guys give you between 10.5 and, and 11 points per game. Duran 7.5 boards, 2.5 blocks per game. Bates is able to shoot 35% for three, and ever since his return, because he was out for a little bit, Bates has been a little bit better, but he also has had a combined 12 turnovers in the last three games, and that's killing this team. If you ask me, the guy that might be the most underrated on this Memphis team, Josh Minnett, who's been able to give you right around 6 points, 4 boards per game. It seems like good things wind up happening when they wind up allowing him very good minutes. He wound up having that nice double-double against Cincinnati. Wound up having 11 boards against Tulsa, but 
You just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of this Memphis team. And I think that Tulsa going to be able to come out with some fight. Tulsa is a very efficient offensive team. Meanwhile, Memphis actually ranks in the top 30 with regards to possessions per game. So very much an up-tempo team. I think that you're going to see a lot more scoring in this game. Did wind up setting my total at a 143.5. Seeing the 142.5, I'm going to take it over. And at 143.5, I'd rather have an over rather than an under. So we're looking over. And with Tulsa, only can make them a 2.5 point underdog. So I'm willing to take the points to go along with that over. 851, 852 on the betting board. You've got Arizona and they're going to be hitting the road face-off against Cal. California is between a 13.5 to a 14-point underdog. So this game is anywhere between 137.5 and 138.5. Got a Cal team that ranks in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. This is an Arizona team that they rank in the top 30. I do think that things are going to be cranked up tempo, and I think that there's a chance that you wind up getting late-game felling. So I did wind up taking the over in this spot. I am making my line 142 with regards to the total, but with Arizona, could only make them a 10-point favorite. I think that Arizona wins this game, and I do think that they do so relatively convincingly. You've got Christian Coloco, who's got a loco down low, 13 points, 7 boards, 3.3 blocks per game, but he was also limited to 8 minutes in that game against Stanford. It seemed like he was dealing with quite a bit of foul trouble, and that sometimes can be a little bit of an issue for Coloco, so that is something to take note of. Now, Kukurisa is back in the fold for Arizona, and he's been amazing. 5.5 assists at 2 turnovers per game, 11.5 points per game, shooting 35.5% from 3-point range, but he's been dealing with a little bit of ailment recently as well. I need to take a look at Cal, and Grant Anti-Savage is a guy that stands right around 6'9", that has been highly effective for this team. 11.5 points, 7.5 points per game, he's shooting 35% from 3, 94% the free line. Cal, as a collective, they shoot 72% the charity strike, right around 33% from 3-point range, and then you take a look at what you're able to get out of someone like a Jordan Shepard, he has not necessarily been able to do a great job with regards to efficiency, but still supplies 14 points, right around three and a half boards, and he's been able to give you two and a half assists per game. He's been able to give the team at least 12 points in four of the last five games, so you know what you're going to be able to get out of him. Cal's done a good job of being able to take care of the ball. 11 and a half turnovers per game. Meanwhile, Arizona, this is a team that they do generate right around eight steals per game. Not great, not terrible, considering their tempo. Azula Stabellis, 15 points, six boards per game, and this team does plow on the glass. Ben Matherin, top 10 player in all of college basketball, 17 and a half points, six boards, shoots 37% from three. All in all, Arizona, they're not necessarily a monstrous three-point shooting team. 34.5% certainly isn't bad, but it's not like they're absolutely just going bombs away from three. They're just really efficient at being able to get the ball inside. I do think that they're going to be able to do that against Cal, but Andre 3000 is going to be able to help out this Cal team. Andre Kelly, 14 points, eight and a half boards. He has been doing a terrific job down low for the team all season long, and I think that that's going to keep Cal live in this game. I think Arizona wins the game, and I think that they win it by 10, but here at 13 and a half to 14, I'm willing to take the points. So this total 142 as well. So going to be taking a look at the over. 853-854. New York Post pick is Michigan hitting the road face off against Indiana. Indiana is finding themselves a four-point favorite in your total on this game and between 133.5 and 134.5. I wound up saying Michigan as a three-point underdog, so I am making them the New York Post pick. I like getting four here with Michigan. I do think that Michigan is fully back because they've got Hunter Dickinson back. Dickinson has been able to do an absolutely terrific job with this team. He's been able to chip in there a little bit over eight and a half rebounds per game, 16 and a half points per game. Now, Trace Jackson Davis on the other end does give his team right around 2.8 blocks per contest. So they will give you right around eight and a half boards and he himself bumps in there 18 points per game, but you saw that game against Purdue. Wound up getting into a lot of foul trouble and we've been finding that a little bit more with him in general. You do have a Michigan team that I do think that they're catching Indiana at a good time. They're coming off of that big emotional win against Purdue. Meanwhile, this is a Michigan team that they're fighting for their life to be able to make the NCAA tournament. Brandon Johns has been out of the full recently, likely going to be out once again for this game 
but he's not necessarily a big piece of this team. What you really need is Caleb Houston to be able to fire on all cylinders. Star freshman that is six foot eight. He's been able to give the team nine point seven points, five and a half boards per game. So if he's able to give this team a little bit of a spark, that'd be big because he's only shooting about twenty one and a half percent from three point range on the road at home. Has been much more effective. Musa Diabate is able to give you nine points, six boards per game. You do have an Indiana team that they themselves just commit a lot of turnovers with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis, right around two hundred twentieth in all of college basketball. Now they shoot it well from three, right around 34.5%. Parker Seward, 7.5 points per game, shooting 45.5% from the outside, but you don't necessarily have that guard play that is necessarily fortified for this Indiana team. Xavier Johnson, 10 points, 4 assists per game, but it feels a little bit aimless as to how they utilize their guards, like Rob Fennessy. He was terrific in that game against Purdue. He had 20 points in that game. He wound up having 2 points or fewer in 3 of the last 4 games prior to that, so it's just a big giant roll of the dice as to what you're going to be able to get out of the backcourt, and I think that for Michigan, Eli Brooks is going to be able to keep this team live. 12 points per game, shooting 90 percent the charity strike, 36 percent from three. I don't know if Michigan wins the game outright, but being able to get four, they do make it the New York Post play of the day. I'm taking Michigan on the spread with that. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following Michigan as only shot about 68 percent the free line. Indiana, they're a team that they are a little bit better at the charity strike, but they themselves more around 67 percent at the charity strike, a little bit better at home. But it is a case in which I do think that you're going to get enough points to be able to push this total over with the two big men being able to pump it in there, set this total at 137. So taking a look at the over and the New York Post play of the day is Michigan on the spread. 855-856 on the betting board. UTEP hits the road to face off against UT San Antonio. We give our Odorone runners here. Meet me, Pez. UTSAs find themselves a 7-7.5 point home underdog in your tallest game. Is there between 134.5 and 135? UTEP wound up playing against UTSA. Ironically enough, about a week or so ago, that is one that wound up going the way of UTEP, but they were unable to get the cover in this game, and I think that you could see something relatively similar to that as well. I wound up setting this line at 5 First time these two teams wound up meeting. UTEP wound up winning by a count of 69 to 64. So I think that we're, you're going to see something very similar in this game. UTEP, they wound up going 10 to 28 from three-point range. Nothing great, nothing terrible. You did have Sally Boehm be able to take over the game with 22 points. And you can expect that once again for the year. He's averaging 19 points per game, shooting right around 33% for three, 14 plus points in each of the last three games, five plus sports in four of the last five as well. And really doesn't turn the ball over. That's good for this team. Meanwhile, for UTSA, they went 4 of 13 from distance and 8 of 16 at the free fly. And I think that they're going to be able to improve upon that a little bit more. Though I don't think that Jacob Jeremy has another double-double now. He's solid. He's been able to give the team 14 points, 6 half boards per game, but that was a very good performance for him. He does wind up committing a couple turnovers as well. Three plus turnovers in three of the last five games. This has been a little bit of a short-handed UTSA team as well as they're going to need to rely upon Darius McNeil once again. Had 19 points in that game, but all in all this season, he's only been able to give the team right around four and a half to five points per contest, so that is a little bit of an issue. And out of that game, Diu Diang, he has been very solid for the team all season long, 15 and a half points per game. He's expected to miss this game once again. And then you've got Jordan Ivy Curry. Curry has been a guy that has been able to shoot 39 and a half percent from misses. He was missing from UTSA in that game as well. You're probably going to have one of those two guys out there in the fold for the team. So I did wind up sort of taking a 50 50 approach with regards to the injuries in this game. You've got Eric Sumbel as well, who last year was relatively solid for UTSA, shooting 38 and a half percent from three, just wound up seeing limited minutes until recently, but has been able to crank it up a little bit more in these last few games, has been able to give the team a combined 24 points and 11 rebounds in the last three contests, coupled with 10 assists to one turnover. So I do think that this is a UTSA team, despite the fact that they've been a little bit bludgeoned by injuries, that they're going to hold in there against a UTEP team that you can tell that they're in a little bit of transition under this Joel Golding style. They're trying to force more steals. I've been getting right around eight per contest. Big reason why Keontae Kennedy is able to give you 2.1 per contest while giving you 13 and a half points per game. And then you do have a guy in Mr. 
Spencer Satterfield and Jarrell Satterfield, who's been able to give you right around a steal, eight half points and shooting 48% for three. But I do think that UTSA, despite having understudies in there, is going to be able to hold it down. I do think that you wind up getting some late game fouling. UTEP has been able to shoot above 73% at the free throw line. UTSA, they're shooting about 68.5% at the charity strike, but are at home in this game. So set this line at five. I'm willing to take seven to seven and a half here with UTSA and made this total 137. So looking at the over, this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. 857, 858. Oregon's going to be playing us Washington, Washington between 11 and 12 point underdogs. So this game, say we're team 142 and 143 and made my line 12 and a half. I'm willing to lay it here with Oregon. Oregon has been having Will Richardson really going off for this team. He is now shooting north of 40% from three point range. Has been the team's top scorer, being able to give the team a little bit under 14 and a half points per game, but what else is big is Infali Dante is starting to take over down low for the team as well. Began the season banged up. He's been picking up more and more steam as the season has went along. He's been able to give the team at least seven boards and 12 points in each of the last three games with regards to the boards at least each of the last four games. So that has been very beneficial for the team. Quincy Garrier was expecting a little bit more out of him. Eight points, five boards per game. But now Oregon's shooting 35.5% for three now. Big trepidation you have with Oregon. They shoot 65.5% the free throw line. But for Washington, this is a team that they shoot 68% at the charity stripe. 30 percent for three. Now, Terrell Brown putting up massive numbers. 21 half points, 4.1 rebounds, 4.1 assists, 2.6 steals per game at Washington. Despite being in the top 45 with regards to possessions per game, they only turn the ball over right around 11 times per contest. And you do have a guy in Emma Matthews that winds coming in from West Virginia. He's been able to pump in there 11 half points per game, five rebounds. And he's been looking a little bit better recently himself. Has had at least nine points in each of the last four games, four plus rebounds in every one of them. Does get into a little bit of foul trouble from time to time, but certainly a Washington team that does a good job of being able to win the turnover battle. The big question is Cole about because he's actually had some massive performance recently, and then he has fallen off a cliff. In the last three games, he has had a combined 10 points. After in the previous two games, he had a combined 33. So what are you going to be able to get out of this gentleman? Transfer from Michigan, that's been able to shoot about 36% from three-point range, so it's a Washington team that they don't make a lot of sense. They've only got one guy giving you more than five rebounds per game. That'd be Nate Robertson. He has been used very, very strangely, to say the least, because he wound up having 12 rebounds in that win over Cal. You take a look at the two games prior to that, and the two games after that, he has had in those games a combined 16 rebounds in four games. So, I mean, I just have no idea what to expect out of Washington on the glass. I think that Oregon is going to be able to win that battle. I do think that Oregon is going to be playing at a little bit more of an up-tempo pace, and Washington, they have been giving up the arc all season long. So, set this at all 144.5. I'm going to go over. And with Oregon, willing to lay up to 12.5 with them, so laying the 11.5. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. All NEC for these last five as we begin with 306081 80 you've got Bryant and the Bulldogs going to be playing those two St. Francis of New York. St. Francis between 11.5 and 12.5 point underdogs in your tallest game and between 146.5 and 147.5. Set Bryant as a 12 point favorite. I would rather lay 11.5 rather than take 12.5 with St. Francis of New York. Now, I recognize the inefficiency that Bryant has had on offense this season, but you take a look at the St. Francis of Brooklyn team and this team is a hot mess right now. They're a team that, with regards to turnovers, right around 14 per game. They shoot about 31.5% from three with their top scores. Patrick Emelin and Michael Cubbage, pair of guys that combined to be able to give you 23.5 points per game. They're combined to shoot about 14% from three-point range. Now, Cubbage gives you two steals per game, but this is also a bunch of which they have seen a little bit of a fall 
off recently from Tadarek Wilcox, who was really able to fire on all cylinders. He's shooting about 50% from three-point range for the season, but this guy wound up having a big, giant burner run towards the beginning of conference play. He wound up having four straight games in which he wound up having 10-plus points. He has now had 12 or fewer in each of the last four, so it seems like defenses are starting to figure him out. And you take a look at the flip side for Bryant, and Peter Kiss is going to be able to take over this game. A guy that has really struggled with regards to his three-point shot, but even with that shooting percentage of right around 25% from the outside, 21.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists per game. This is a Bryant team that they do turn the ball over 14 times per game, but they crank up the tempo, ranking in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game. Charles Pride, 15 points, 8 boards. He has been efficient for this team. Hal Elisayas is going to be the best low post presence in this game. 3 blocks per game. Greg Kaxlixi, who winds coming in from George Mason. He has been able to do a little bit more recently. 7 plus boards in 3 out of the last 4 games. And he's been able to have a combined 6 blocks in the last 3 games and 3 steals in that time span as well. So he's been a good defensive cog for this team. Chris Childs shoots 86% of the charity strike. He's been able to give you 7 points per game. And Brian, they're just not going to continue to shoot 30% from three-point range. This is a St. Francis, New York defense that winds up getting torched quite a bit. I just don't know if St. Francis of Brooklyn is going to be a hold up there end of the bargain with regards to this total. Set it at a 146, willing to dive under. And with Bryant made by line 12, so would rather lay 11.5 than take 12.5 in this spot with the Bulldogs. 306-083, 306-084. Mount St. Mary's is going to be playing us to Central Connecticut State. Central Connecticut is a 9-9.5 point underdog. Your total game is anywhere team 130 and 130.5 with this Mount St. Mary's team. Made them an 8-point favorite. I think that they should be able to get the win, but Central Connecticut State has actually been a little bit of a pesky team, and they're 11-8 and against the spread because numbers have been set a little bit too high on them. I like what you're able to get out of Nigel Scantleberry. 12 points, 3.4 assists, shooting 42% from three. All in all, this is a Central Connecticut State team that's now shooting 34% from three. 67% of the line is a little bit rough. They do commit 14 turnovers per game, but Andre Snoody down low is able to give you right around 7.5 points, 7 rebounds per game, so he's been relatively solid there. I was hoping for a little bit more out of someone like a Stefan Inguama, who's maybe giving you six and a half points, right around four boards per game, but he's been picking up recently. At least four boards in four of the team's last five games. He's shooting 35.5% from the outside, and then for the mount, this is a team that they rely upon UAB transfer Jalen Benjamin to be able to flow their offense, 13 points, four assists, shooting 40% per three, and all in all, this is a mount team that, despite the fact that they're playing in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game, they are shooting 36.5% from distance. Big thing is, they turn the ball over 14 times per game. They do get right around four and a half blocks per game, because you do have Nana Akpu along with Malik Jefferson. Both of these guys will give you between six and six and a half rebounds per game. They combine for a little bit over three blocks per contest and a little bit over 18 points per game. And then Malezi Afram has been able to give you 11 points, five boards per game. So they are rock solid down low. But what are you going to be able to get out of some of these backcourt pieces like a Josh Reeves, who for the season has been able to shoot 37.5% from three with eight points per game. He's been picking up recently at least eight points in four out of the last five games. But he has been a very hit or miss piece out there in the backcourt along someone like Adiri Andre Thomas, who's been able to give you seven points per game, but now he's had eight points or fewer in four of the last five, and that other outlier was nine points. So you've got a Mount St. Mary's team that I don't necessarily trust in the backcourt, and a Central Connecticut State team that under Sean Sellers has actually been able to do some good work. Wound up setting this line at eight, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Central Connecticut. So that's a total of 128 as well. I think that you're going to see a very slow control game, so take a look at the under to go along with the points. You've got 306, 085, 306, Wagner is going to be in the red face off against Merrimick. The Merrymen are an eight and a half point underdog in your tallest game is anywhere between 126 and 126 and a half. 
Wagner has looked like the best team in the conference thus far, and I do think that they should be able to get the win, but this is a Merrimack team that they play sort of that amoeba zone. I always call it the psycho zone because it's just absolutely insane, and they've been able to generate 9.5 steals per game out of it. Merrimack is a team that ranks in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. Wagner has actually pumped up their tempo, but Merrimack seems to always get teams to play into their trap, play very slow, and you do have a guy that's able to give you 2.5 blocks and 1.7 steals per game in Jordan Minor, who's very major, leading the team with 14 points and 6.5 boards per game. You do have a couple guys that are able to stroke it from 3 point range as well. You've been able to get Jordan McCoy to be able to shoot at about a 35.5% clip from the outside. He wound up having a big performance when the team was able to get a W against Long Island. He had 21 points in that one. And then Michael Deering is able to shoot about 36% from the outside with about 5.5 points per game. Merrimack, they only shoot about 68% the free line, but this is a Wagner team that if you're looking to bust the zone, they aren't necessarily the three-point team to be able to do so. 26% from distance. Now, you've got one guy that has been able to do a great job of being able to fill it up in Alex Morales. That does shoot 40% from three. 18 points, seven half boards, four assists, two seals per game. And then Will Martinez behind him shoots more around 32% from the outside. He's been able to give you right around 13 points per game. And this is a Wagner team that they do shoot 74% at the free throw line, but not a lot of outside shooting options. I do like what you able to get out of Elijah Fords along with Raekwon Rogers. Both of these guys are combined for about 25 points per game. You've been able to get five and a half points per game out of Rodgers. You take a look at Ford and he's been able to generate nearly two steals per game, but it is a Wagner team that depth is not necessarily the strong suit of this team. I was expecting a little bit more out of someone like a Nigel Jackson who in past years has been able to get this team nine and a half points per game, but I do take a look at Wagner. Should they be able to get the outright win? Yes, but I do think that they struggle with this zone in the process. Said so this all at 124 and a half, diving under with Wagner, made them a four and a half point favorite, so taking the points with Merrimack. 306 87 Francis of PA is going to be playing us to Sacred Art. Sacred Art, a 2.5 to 3-point underdog with your total between 143 and 144. Flipped it, made Sacred Art a 1.5-point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at the money line. When it comes to Sacred Art, Tyler Thomas is going to be able to take over this game. He and Aaron Clark have been able to combine for about 34.5 points per game. Clark is able to give you just under four assists per game. Thomas, he shoots at right around 34.5% from distance for a Sacred Art team that they shoot 70.5% from the free throw line, 34% from three-point range. Nico Galetti is able to give you 10.5 points, nine rebounds per game. I like what he's able to get. Kit Travio Drutrell has been able to give you six boards per game, and you've also been able to get six boards per game out of Bryce Johnson. So this is a Sacred Art team that's very good down low, and then you take a look at St. Francis of Pennsylvania. You've been able to get right around a combined 11.5 rebounds out of Josh Cohen along with Mark Flagg, but Flagg is not necessarily an offense of force for this team. You take a look at Ramir Dixon-Conover and he does it all. 12.5 points, 5 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 2 steals. He's been able to shoot about 32% from 3 and then you got a 44% outside shooter and 6 foot 6 miles. Thompson, who's really been able to come on, he's able to give you 12 points per game but has had 14 plus in 3 out of the last 4 games. But when it comes to the St. Francis a PA team, though they only turn the ball over right around 12.5 times per game, they do shoot just 31.5% from the outside as a collective, 67.7% at the free fly and the defense has really been killing them recently. I did wind up saying this total at a 1 43 and a half. So I'm right in between 143 and 144. I would rather have the 143 over than the 144 under just because I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game falling and I do think that that favors Sacred Art a little bit. I do think that also Ronald Giles Jr. dealing with a little bit of an ailment for St. Francis, a guy that's been able to give you 11 and a half points per game has missed the last few games, is going to be playing a little bit of a factor as well. So we'll want to take Sacred Art here on the money line and we'll want to take a 143 over and we wrap things up with 306 089, 306 090. You've got yourself Fairly Dickinson and they hope to be fairly 
rights against Long Island. Long Island between a six and a half and a seven point favorite, and your totals between 151 and 151 and a half for Fairleigh Dickinson. They have slowed down their tempo a little bit this season because they're just very ineffective on all sides of it. Very inefficient on defense, very inefficient on offense. Quite frankly, a bottom 15 team in all of college basketball. I was expecting a lot more out of Pierre Oliver Racine, who last year as a freshman had right around six and a half points, 3.3 rebounds per game. He's averaging fewer than two points per game, and he's become an afterthought for the team. Brandon Rush has been able to give you 14 points per game, but this is a fairly Dickinson team that they commit 14 and a half turnovers per game. They shoot 32% from three-point range. John Square Jr. has been leading the way with four and a half rebounds per game. Only guy on the roster that's giving you really more than 3.5 boards per game, so Long Island should be able to just completely decimate them down low. You've got Earl Penn and Long Tie Flowers. These two guys have been able to give you a combined 34 points, 14 rebounds, 2.8 steals per game, a block and a half out of Flowers as well, and Flowers shoots 38 and a half percent from three. Long Island overall, they only shoot about 32 and a half percent from distance, but you take a look at the ancillary pieces. Kendall Davis along with Alex Rivera and Trey Wood. These three guys have been able to combine to be able to give you a little bit over four steals per game. They combine to be able to give you right in the pocket of about 22-ish points per game. None of these guys are necessarily going to go off and have a big burner run or anything like that, but Rivera is able to shoot 38% from three-point range, and then you've been able to get Isaac Conte to be able to give you eight rebounds per game as well. Long Island, I think, is going to be able to win from within Long Island. A little bit more of an up-tempo team, but I just don't know if Fairleigh Dickinson going to be able to hold up their end of the bargain with regards to scoring because they're just playing a bunch of one-and-done possessions. So, set the total at 115.5, diving under. And with Long Island, willing to lay up to eight here. So, going to be laying the points. And that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Soups. Now part of the VEASAN family podcast. A big thanks to our good buddy, Andy Dekoff. Does great work over there at EHXCBB. And he joined me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren Squirty1. Keep in mind, letters CM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.